0: for you Lord. God we pray that we would be transformed by our minds. Lord to not conform to God what is outside these doors, but Lord we would come here and be transformed by you. Lord that we would walk differently. Lord, I just pray for the future leaders in this room. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand for the band. thank you guys. Welcome, welcome. As you guys are finding a seat, let me jump in here. Uh, tonight, we're going to continue a look in Acts chapter 2 and 4. So, if you want, you can go ahead and start turning there. Last time we left, we were talking about Jesus as the lover, the lover of our soul. We talked about how Jesus' heart and his existence was all for us, that what he did on the cross for us was to wipe us clean, that we would have a relationship with Jesus. Now, the issue, though, is that you have a guy who died 2,000-some-odd years ago. How do you have a relationship? How do you even experience love with a someone who lived centuries and centuries ago? And so we looked at, before we can even understand God's love through Jesus, Jesus loving us, we need to understand the Holy Spirit— and the Holy Spirit how it is dependent on us to interact and communication back and forth. That God experiences love just like we do. That He experiences the way in which we would communicate back and forth with Him. And the only way that that can happen is with the Holy Spirit to be that intermediary for us. We kind of joked about how, if I wanted to love my wife, if I wanted to develop that relationship with her, I wouldn't buy an encyclopedia about her and like research different facts about her. You know, page 48, she likes chocolate. No, I would... I would try and develop a relationship with her. And I would communicate with her. I'd spend time with her. And so there's no difference between that and our relationship with, with God. And it all comes down to that. And we challenge you guys. we just like, how does God know that you love him? I mean, we, we, we hide behind this like, oh, God's love for me. It, it's so vague and so general. It really becomes meaningless unless we begin to break out. How does God know that we love him? And how do we know that he loves us? What does that even look like? And maybe you had raised a hand somewhere in in some church service that God would come into your life, and you don't even know what that means or is. But we have this vague idea of what God's love is. And so that's where we kind of left off last week. And this is all about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the essence, is required if we're going to demonstrate, if we're going to experience, if we're going to communicate and experience God's love for us. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And we talk about how there's three different purposes of the Holy Spirit. The first one is the Holy Spirit is inside of us. When you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and you ask for forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within your body. The second one, which we talked about last time, is that the partnering of the Holy Spirit in our lives to transform us, to live differently. It's a coming alongside us, a guidance. We talked about how sometimes we don't even tap into that. We don't even know what that is or what that looks like. And so about how to have a step-by-step, a walking side-by-side with us life with the Holy Spirit. And now the last one which I'm the most excited about tonight is the Holy Spirit falling upon us, which gets a little more vague, a little more different. And this is the, the, the path less traveled. And if you want, you can take notes. We have little cards on our our tables here that you can jot down some references we're gonna go through tonight, but we're gonna talk about that. So tonight is all about the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And the reason the Holy Spirit comes upon us is because God destines us for greatness. God destines each one of us for greatness beyond our abilities, beyond our own personal potential. So, with that said, let's quickly review where we left off in Acts two, verse seventeen. Now, just to give you the, the context here, so they had 120 individuals. They're up in one room. They prayed with one mind and accord and heart, and they beckoned God, and God moved, and all of a sudden, tongues of fire showed up every place. All of a sudden, people were able to speak different languages, and it was crazy. It was a scene. And people were looking like, are these people drunk? And I love it because Peter, you know, of course, doesn't say, no, these guys have been transformed by the living God. He says, no, it's not. It's only 9 a.m. Come back in a little bit. No. But he said, it's not even even late. It's early in the morning. That always bothered me. So 3,000 people got saved, right? So, and then Peter stands up, and he says this. He says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This sounds crazy, right? But for us, we we need to to have our minds set that this is what the normalcy is post-Jesus on the earth is that when God left, that he left us a better existence, a better life, more power than when he was on earth. So we need to understand that this, this is not the abnormal, this is the normal. That we need to focus in and say, okay, God, that you left and you say this is what's going to happen in the last days. And so we look at here, we, we, we see this and say, okay, God, we need you to take us to the next level. Whatever that level is I am at right now, I need to go to the next level. I want that next level of intimacy with God. I want that next level of power in my life, that next level of the chapter of my life. We don't sit here and just exist. It's that we're supposed to be moving forward and boldly encountering God. And so this is the blueprint for which God says, I'm going to send my spirit to come upon you. See how many times He said, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll pour out my spirit. It reminds me when I... uh, was engaged and it was the night before my wedding and my buddies you know these are like my bros you know there's like 10 of them and so you know they, these guys are just awesome i mean they know the word inside and out i mean they're just you know my mentors or everything and so we all get together and so they're like hey, man this is your last single night and and we want to pray for you it's like yeah you know it's like cool and i'm just totally like whatever and it's like you know we need to like, you know, strip off our clothes and, you know, just pray in our boxers. and like, yeah, you know, so I'm like all in it, right? Like these guys are just, you know, I don't, I don't think anything of it. I trust these guys. And so we're sitting there and we're praying and so they all get around me and I just feel like this, this larger space and, and I'm, I'm, I'm focusing in and, and good stuff is being prayed for and all of a sudden someone says, and God that you pour out your spirit like oil on him and boom comes a bucket of oil over me. They grab this huge bucket, probably about five gallons of, like, olive oil, and just douse me. And then I realized I was had. I was like, oh, man. So I just, I owned it, you know. And so I'm like, all right, all right, let's keep going, you know, whatever. I'm trying not to, like, overreact. And then, and, but I didn't know what was coming next. C- so Because then they're like, and that you'd make your sins white as snow. And boom, comes a bag of flour over me. I, like, pretty much got tarred and feathered on my on the eve of my wedding night, and so as I look at the pouring out of your spirit, I always come back to that. I was like, man, it was awesome, and I can't wait to do it to some of you guys, so look out. But I, I love seeing that, that, that when God pours out his spirit, it's not just this, God puts this nice little seasoning of his spirit on you. No, he says, I'm going to pour it out. We can't look at, at, at a life with Jesus and just like, Jesus will make my life suck a little bit less. That's not what he came for. Jesus came to pour out his spirit on us. And look at this. That your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. He's setting a huge standard and a huge threshold here. And this, as we look, this was the turning point for Peter and the early church. All of the, the whole entire culmination of after Jesus' life hinged on this moment here. When God sent his spirit over them. That's called Pentecost. So, let's move forward a couple pages here, and we'll start the story here. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Actually, i take that back. Why don't we, uh, ah, oh yeah. so essentially, I was, I was going to tell you guys that Peter encounters this crippled beggar. And, uh, and so the beggar comes, and so Peter says, what I don't have in food or, or supplies is I give you Jesus Christ, and I command you to walk. And so all of a sudden, this man is completely healed and totally transformed and goes on and on and on. And so Peter says, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness had made this man walk? And he totally owns it. He's like, it wasn't us, it was God, right? Okay, so Peter sees this man healed. And so now Peter's in front of the Sanhedrin and all the religious rulers and leaders, because now he's in trouble for healing this man. So this is chapter 4, verse 8. says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say filled. Filled. Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit. That's really important because it wasn't like five seconds ago. And he didn't say that. He says, right now, as he's in front of these leaders, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the coming upon nature. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are called to account today for an account of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, what's interesting about that component right there? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that phrase is the exact phrase that Peter denied Jesus' existence. That he knew Jesus at all. Several chapters back in the Gospels, we see that Peter is is hanging out with, with Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus gets handed over into prison. And so then people are like, hey, you know, you Pete, you know, weren't you hanging out with him? And he's like, no, I wasn't with him. And he denies him three times by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Peter goes so far as to even say, may I be damned and God kill me if I'm lying. That's how aggressive Peter was in his denial of Jesus Christ. And He says this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Then they realized, when, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus i read that last part. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. Everyone say unschooled. Unschooled. Ordinary. Everyone say ordinary. Men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let me shock some of you guys and, and don't hold it against me. I've never been to seminary. I'm an ordinary schmuck. Totally. Like I... I have no credential that tells me I can be up here besides they've just entrusted me with the microphone. I'm a total ordinary guy. And I'm just, I'm just calling as I see it. So, I mean, you don't need to proclaim that, or you don't need to think that you have to go to some seminary or you have to go to Bible college to, to be able to speak the word of God and to speak truth in people's lives. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, there's, you know, go for it if you, if you want, absolutely. But I think sometimes we think, well, I'll leave the preaching up to the preacher or I'll leave the the Jesus stuff up to to the Jesus guy, because he's got a degree in it. And so here Peter is, it's notice that he's ordinary and he's unschooled. I love this. This is exactly what we're talking about, the falling of the Holy Spirit over Peter. Peter is a total schmuck, and now here he is in in front of all the rulers, preaching the word of God, saying by which they will be saved, and proclaiming the name of Jesus. This is the evidence, the outflow of the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. A few things to notice about Peter's encounter here. First is that he was endowed with power, boldness and confidence at the time of need. When he got taken into captivity, he wasn't like, "Oh, let me grab my sermon notes here." No. He was equipped with boldness, confidence and power to deliver what he needed to say in his time of need. He also proclaimed the word of God. You notice how I said, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. This is Old Testament prophecy. He's quoting scripture. He had confidence before those who had threatened his life. Remember, uh, he's in the campfire and people were asking, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he was all afraid. And now he stands before rulers that can stone him and put him to death. And he bolds, boldly proclaims with confidence by which power that cripple was healed. He's no longer ashamed. He's no longer fearful. And best of all, he had the right words at the right time. I wonder how many times that we opt out of things because we don't think that we'll have the right words. We haven't prepared enough. When in reality, when we have the Holy Spirit, when we invite God to come over us, is that God will begin to manipulate the words of our mouth, just like Peter here. And he'll begin to give you the right things to say at the right time for your good and for his glory. That is the Holy Spirit at work. And notice in 13, it says, when they, re- when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been with Jesus. Jesus had been gone for a while. Now, what is the connection between the work in the Holy Spirit, our life, and others recognizing that we have been with Jesus? Isn't that a cool thought? That we would spend time in the word, in prayer, in communion with the Holy Spirit, and people would recognize that we had been with Jesus. That is what we need to take from here. That we can come so close that God would enter into this place and into our homes and into our lives that our lives would proclaim the existence of God just by our presence, just by our words. That people say, he's unschooled, he's uneducated, but he knows Jesus. How cool is that? I think that's a call of, of action for all of us. No matter where we're at, is that we can have the ability to have the aroma of God wherever we go. It's not like that we have to go somewhere else and be equipped. We need to come before God. We need to study his word, be in prayer, and, and encounter the Holy Spirit, and God's presence will be with us and they'll be evident to all. I love that. Move over to verse 29. Verse 29. verse 29 says now now lord consider their threats and enable your servants this is also everyone getting back together sorry now lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus that is their prayer Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is the request they are asking. Give us the words to speak and give us boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They are asking, they're saying, God, we know that you are the one who who heals the cripple. We we know that you are the one who gives authorship to the words that I would speak. And look what happened after this. says, and they prayed, and the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is that descending. This is that the Holy Spirit that comes upon you and equips you for special assignments, for greatness. This is not just your average. This is This is you petitioning God and saying, God, I need you to break through my life and to provide me with supernatural ability in this. And it says, And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. So here we see the transformation of a community. So let me, let me give you the sequence of events. So 120 sit in a room. They pray, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? Flaming tongues, all sorts of crazy things. 3,000 people get saved, right? Pretty huge. Peter goes, and he heals the crippled man. A- and 5,000 people are now saved. So two more are added. And so now all these guys come before, and they seek God, and so they they meet and they pray and the earth shakes and now their community has been totally transformed. That now their possessions are not their own. They share. No one has a need or a want. They all come together. What a selfish society that we live in and the power of God to be able to transform people like that. That's the outflow of the Holy Spirit. When we come before him and that transformation flows through us, crazy things happen. This is also spiritual momentum. That it started out small and became bigger and bigger and bigger as he went so i started my business out of a dorm room and i had my buddy playing video games about five feet from me and every time i got a sales call i had to tell him to mute his video game and that's how i started my business and for me it was like oh i want to have an office i want to have employees i want to do this and that and god's saying why are you getting so concerned about the huge outcome why can't you just humble yourself and just serve one client one phone call if you get one phone call this entire year, wouldn't it be worth it? Or do you want to complain and cry about how you want the big end result? But slowly, I got out of my dorm room and I started working at home. And slowly, I gathered more momentum. Got my second client, my third client. And slowly after that, I got my fifth, and then my tenth, and then my twentieth. And then all of a sudden, the jobs got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it's like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's, let's get an office. Let's get employees. Let's do this. And, and so incrementally, I've been able to grow into my business. It's exactly how God works here. He's, he's like, don't go to the tops of the hills and, and carry a cross up there and make this huge monument and with a bullhorn and shout down to the people. He's like, can you just come into the word in the mornings with me? I don't care about what you do. I don't care about these works. I don't care if you go feed the homeless. Can you just come into a relationship with me and talk to me? Forget about the works. I don't want your works. I want your heart. Could you do something so small as that? And let's say we own that. Let's say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to get in your word every day. And what if he says, okay, I'm going to put someone in your life for you to speak to that needs me, that needs encouragement, that needs an arm around the shoulder. Could you do that? But oftentimes we, we think, oh, well, that's not me. But we're missing the opportunities that God would incrementally grow us. God is a momentum God, is that the more that we give him, the more he's going to give to us, and the more we're going to grow, and the more that he's going to be glorified. It is all about movement, motion. Success breeds success. I think it's, the, the pattern here is that we have the encounter, let's try it. They had the transformation in that room, the 120, let's go out, let's see what can happen. Let's try it. What is the worst that can happen? right? I love that. Today, I got like three sales. What's the worst thing that can happen if I go out and I ask people those questions? They say no. What's the worst thing that can happen when you step out boldly for God or boldly in life in general, right? Because we're looking at here as we see that God is a God of today and that he empowers us for where we are. We're not riding camels. We're not riding mules. We're not out in all the sand and, you know, just trying to survive off the lands. Like, no, we live abundant lives, and so God has purpose for us. But he's going to give us opportunities. He's like, don't focus on the huge horizon. I just want you to focus on this one footstep. I want you to take a little bit closer to me. I don't think God cares about the 7,000 people, the 5,000 people. I don't think that he's interested in the big numbers. He's interested in the results of one, and the results of few. If you focus in on that, if you focus in on the results of just me, just for a little bit, as I meet with guys, and they want to they get into the Bible, and, and the thing is like, okay, I want to read five chapters a day, and I'm just like, don't read five chapters a day. Can you just like, be faithful with reading one verse a day? Can you be faithful just to praying once a day? Can you do something small? Don't set yourself up for failure because you're going to be discouraged. And when we do that, when we ask God to come upon us, as we see with Peter, is that now all of a sudden we have a holy anointing equipping for our life. And anything is possible. I have been accused of being an optimist to a fault, but I really believe that anything is possible. And what the best part is, is you don't need to worry about your own abilities or your own giftings. I, I don't have an MBA. I study a little bit of business. But I have no right for whatever I'm doing. I don't have a right to be up here. I'm just I'm here and I'm saying, God, would you give me opportunity? If you give me opportunity, I'll swing at it. I think, I think some of us, we, we get caught up and say, I can't do that. I don't have the giftings for that. I don't deserve that. I'm not able to do that. And I think it's a really selfish and self-centered way of looking at your life. Because you're relying on your own abilities for the outcome, not God's. You're thinking about what you can do, not what God can do through you when he comes over you and when he equips you. Remember Peter, he didn't like talking at all. He was a total schmuck, and now all of a sudden, he's out there proclaiming, quoting scripture, delivering the gospel. I don't know if he did an altar call right there. That would have been awesome. But he was like right there, And that wasn't the Peter that we learned about in all the previous chapters. It was a different man. And so I'm here to tell you, whatever it is in your life that you are looking at, and you're wondering, do I deserve this? Am I able to do this? If you're discouraged by it, then you're thinking about what your own personal potential is. Because with God, it doesn't matter. Who are you to tell God what he can do in you? Who are you to tell him, this is my destiny, this is my lot, this is what I deserve, and it's not much, by the way. I think we need to pull off that ceiling. We need to stop looking at our own ability and start looking into the infinite ability. I've seen that the greatest moments of my life have come in the greatest fear and the greatest uncertainty. Two things that all of us hate, including myself uncertainty and fear but the greatest rewards the greatest harvest the greatest fruit have come when i stood my ground right there or worse i walked forward at the worst possible moments those have been the most transforming times of my life and maybe some of us we we have this this scarcity view of 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 god's move right we think that that god's work is a big pie And if something good happened to you, it means something good did not happen to me. Because God only delivers out his allotted grace for each day. That if someone gets a job, oh, awesome, I hate you, I didn't get a job. You know, like, that's how we kind of think. That if God is doing something over there, that means that he's not doing something over here. We think that God has a finite ability to give and to, to deliver and to move. I think that we limit ourselves to that. God has an infinite ability some friends of, of mine, uh, uh, they were in Southern California, and there's this bagel shop in Carpinteria, and it's called Jack's Bagels, and they have this jalapeno and cheese bagel, and they have this jalapeno cream cheese, and so they drop by our house and they stuck it in our fridge, and we get home and all of a sudden there's these bagels and this cream cheese, and we're like we love it like crazy, and so my wife and I, it's like it's a little nervous because we're like, you know, how many of you had, you know, and and like. You get, like, nervous, like, you know, there's not enough here, so I need to go and eat more. Like, we both had two, and like, right when we got home, because we didn't want the other one to have more than each other. And so we get scared that someone else is going to take that. And, and I, I think sometimes we, we, we come together and we come in church, and, and maybe some people are a little more free. Maybe some people are raising hands, maybe some people are crying, and we don't like that. We don't like that because that, that means that that's not happening to us, and so we prefer that you wouldn't do that. We prefer that you wouldn't really experience God over there because I'm not experiencing God here. So could you kind of calm down and, and take it easy a little bit? I think there's a lot of truth in that, that we're always going to be limited by the boundaries that we set up for ourselves. Those boundaries are set by our own fears and our own anxieties. The boundaries of your fears and anxieties will limit your existence. You'll be defined forever in your entire life by the boundaries that you set up based on your fears and anxieties. And those fears and anxieties are based on your perspective of what you can do yourself and not what God can. So I'm telling you, you can do anything if you want, if you are silly enough to believe that you can. People have called me stupid my entire business career. I haven't had a W 2 since I was 14. I keep on thinking I might be out of business next month. Everyone looks at me like I don't get it. You're just—it's stupid. I'm I'm stupid enough to believe that God would be greater than my ability to succeed, and it happens. So we have this this potential. Now, what's holding us back? What's holding us back? I think number one, we, we recognize is there's a great good, is that there's also a great enemy in the mix. And the enemy wants to try and snuff out every last little bit of joy that you could have, every last little bit of optimism that you could encounter. Because when he can do that, when he can keep you depressed, is that he can give you spin in a little circle, and then he can go on to somebody else. Is that the enemy does his entire job about shooting all your dreams and hopes out of the sky. Because when you're demoralized, when you're discouraged, he knows that there's no advancing forward for you anytime soon. You're not going to move forward in discouragement. When you are oppressed, you become an ally for darkness. When you are depressed and discouraged, you automatically become a partner in your own personal destruction. That you partner, you begin to see through these things to perfection of the demise. And you'll orchestrate it. If you say, I hate where I live. I hate this. Then you're going to hate it. If you say, I'm not good enough for this. I can't get that. You're never going to get it. You begin to speak things to the mouths, and you are going to begin to personally see to it that you fulfill that prophecy. I love it because also in that moment, I think the, the great thing is that the enemy has so good tricks, so many good tricks about holding us down, is that sometimes he's completely oblivious to when we fight back. And it doesn't take much to fight back. If you're discouraged, if you are depressed, if you think there's no potential, if you don't think that you deserve that career or that job, if you begin to think that way, then the enemy has totally got you you wired and is speaking little stuff in your ear. I love playing basketball with some buddies because we trash talk all the time. And it's just like that. You know, all the way down the court, I'm telling you about that shot you missed. But that's what the enemy does to us. And he's got this voice, and he begins to just tell you, like, you're not gonna do it, you're not gonna do it. But you know what? If you fight back just a little bit, you have amazing victory. We have a video clip here I want to illustrate for this. And this completely illustrates the power in which our fear limits our existence. And until we stand up to it, until we push against it and fight against it, we'll never receive the reward. We'll never experience the destiny that we're supposed to have. So if we have that. I think you got the wrong car, McFly. George, help me, please. Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Please, Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and beat it. No, Biff. You leave her alone. All right, McFly. You're asking for it, and now you're going to get it. Biff, oh. stop it! Biff, oh. you'll oh. oh. break his arm! <sighs> this, huh? Give me a hand, original. Ow! Dammit, man, I sliced my hand. Who's in these? Mine. Hess. Excellent. You're gonna break his arm! Biff! <sighs> Biff! Be- Be- leave him alone! I love it. Isn't that right? Marty McFly's existence was totally based upon his fear of Biff. And Michael J. Fox, what was his name? No, George McFly be Biff. Marty, Michael J. Fox, now, like, early in the movie, he's, like, looking at a photo. And it's him of his family, and that's in the present. And he's seeing that Biff is totally owning George McFly. I love that. And he sees his future begin to alter. That unless George stands up to Biff, that his existence, Marty's existence, will cease. That history will be completely rewritten. A different story, a whole entire different outcome. Unless George stands up. And the the most fearful thing that he could have done, he tried, right? And then he gets thrown in the back. And he's all that pain, and all that pain. And so maybe that's us tonight. We're just like, we totally are, are bent over because we got, the enemy's got some little jab in us. And we're totally discouraged, we don't even know. And all we need to do is just grab that hand and just throw back. I'm telling you, all the things that we need to do have to be wrapped up in boldness. We need to be bold people. We need to be bold enough to try and swing. If we don't swing, we are never going to achieve anything of significance. God did not come here and to say, I'm going to give you an okay life. John 10.10, right Mike? I've come to give you life, and life what? More abundantly. He didn't come as, I'm going to give you a lame life. It's like, I'm going to give you abundant life if you choose. If you choose to walk forward, if you choose to push through and deal with the crap around you. And when the, the, the congregation came together in, in Acts 4 and they're, they're praying and they come with one mind and they say, God, would you do that? Would you defeat our enemies? Would you go forward? Would you heal and show yourself? God hears and he moves. Unless we break through that, unless we have that power of the Holy Spirit come upon us, we'll never achieve anything. Bold claim, but I can tell you this: that the person that raises someone out of a wheelchair will not be someone who's insecure. Someone who leads a billion dollar business will not be someone who's afraid of confrontation. Someone who cures cancer is not going to be afraid of failure. Someone who revives our state in our country will not be afraid of offending people. The greatness comes at boldness, boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to those who ask, freely given. I think it's also important that God recognizes our heart that we want it. As I wrap here in a, in a second here and call the band up, I want to ask this, this question, is I want to ask, "Are you dangerous?" Are you dangerous?" Is is the enemy out there, is he afraid of, of you? Does he know that you can swing back? Are you dangerous? Do you have significance to move forward your existence on the power of your boldness? Do you have that in you? If you don't have that in you, then you're not dangerous. If you don't have the Holy Spirit anointing to fall over you, to equip you with the confidence, with the words at the right time, and the, the belief that something's going to happen, then you are no threat to anybody, including the enemy. In fact, again, you become an ally for the advancement of mediocrity. There's an p- idea that we would pull down heaven closer to us. There's a, a concept that we would beckon God's presence to move in us, that we would be able to petition God and have him show up. In us. Matthew 11, 12 says, The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and violent men lay hold of it. That the kingdom of God is being advanced by individuals who take it by force, who take control of their own life by force. And again, not by your own ability, but by the Holy Spirit's power and anointing over you. You can do this. Whatever you have, you can do this. It just depends if you are going to be one. To pull it together and to take a stand and take a bold step forward. And it needs the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want a participant. God doesn't want someone who comes here or comes on Sundays and just kind of exists inside the context of church, inside the context of Jesus. God has a whole lot of better things to go on than to look at people who just simply participate. God wants a partner. God wants a partner who can get in the trenches with him and do some battle and advance the kingdom. And that takes boldness, that takes a power and a a zeal for the kingdom of God that is at hand. Whatever it is that you are afraid of tonight, it is not that big. Whatever thing that you want to accomplish, whatever career, whatever job, whatever influence, whatever relationship, whatever thing that you want, that you desire, and that you see, God can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine with that. We just need to be dumb enough to ask that God would move in it and believe that he can. No more doubt. No more minimizing ourselves. No more putting ourselves in a box. No more putting God's potential in a box. It's time for us to raise up. I really believe in this room that we have the leaders to transform our body to transform this state, to transform this country? Who knows if one of you is going to go to some country and you are going to be the source for the salvation of communities and generations everywhere? Who knows if you will be able to be part of an enterprise that completely transforms the way that we live? Who knows if you are able to generate such an unbelievable wealth that you are able to cure and to fund causes and diseases and issues around us? If you're not thinking like that, you need to begin to start thinking that way. If you don't think that you have the power to tell one person about the gospel, then why would God give you any other influence besides that? You need to start thinking bigger and stronger and more bold. So let's all stand and let's commit this. If any of you guys, if you guys are rung by this and you want to have prayer, myself and a couple others will be on the the right side. And what we'll do is we'll pray that the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit would fall on you to equip you for whatever you want. And let me give you a warning too here, is that if you need to go, this is a dismissal time if you want. If you need to head out, go for it. But what we're going to do now is that we're going to play music and we're going to go to however long we want. However long God tells us and moves for us. It could be a a few songs or it could be a while. But this is the time in which we come before God and we say, God, I want that huge outcome. I want that next step. I want that next level. I want that vision. I want that dream. And we'll pray and we'll praise and we'll sing. And if that's you, if you want that, then that'll be freely available over there. Be encouraged that God honors a willing heart. Be encouraged that God honors a heart that desires and wants that. Let's pray. So Father God, we just come before you, and Lord, we just ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us to move past our small-mindedness, God, of ourselves. Help us to see past, Lord, what the limited potential is in front of us. And Lord, may we seek... And crave and receive, God, the power of your spirit over us to do amazing things. God, that we would aspire to greatness. Lord, that we would take the plunge, that we would go for it and not hold back. And Lord, the kingdom of God is waiting for those who would forcefully advance it. The kingdom of God is waiting for those who would boldly move forward. And so, Lord, help us and move us for that. May we take hold of what, Lord, is already yours and you're waiting to give it to us. In Jesus' name.